today's scripture will be the gospel from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. If you are able to, please rise for the reading of these sacred words. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returned to God. So he, would, he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured a water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is what was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do, as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, yesterday night, I uh, received a, a message from our lovely Edna Grants. Uh, she texted me saying that, Joseph, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> and then she also sent me a, 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 a gif, uh, a picture, um, a picture of um, a very cool uh, cat sitting on a red couch with sunglasses you know, on and then holding a popcorn. And then it says, pastors, don't forget, you get an extra hour to preach on Sunday. <laughs> so... I think I should listen to your advice. Um, are you ready for an hour and a half long council? <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> no, I, I can see all the youth and young adults, they are like, oh, I'm ready to, to, to out, to be out now. <laughs> um, Angela and I, we haven't been back to Malaysia since 2019 um, due to global pandemic. Our flight got canceled in 2020. And we haven't been traveling outside of Canada since. That means... For the whole four years, we haven't been able to see and be with our family in person. We really miss them, 
Angeline especially misses her little niece, who is seven years old this year, and she always feels sorry to miss seeing her growing up. And this past summer, finally, we were able to board the flight back to Malaysia to visit family. And for the whole two weeks' time in Malaysia, Angeline stayed with her family and I with mine. It's okay. We have been in Canada, you know, being with each other 24 hours a day, 365 days in a year. So it's okay to, you know, separate just for two weeks. Um, so we did this so that we can spend more time uh, with our own immediate family. And both our family, actually, they, they live not too far away from each other. It's something like from CPC um, to Richmond Center without traffic. So we actually had the chance to date each other just like when we were in high school, you know. <laughs> hey, are you out for a date, you know, tonight, you know, you're meeting here at McDonald's, something like that. <laughs> On our last day in Malaysia, when we have to say goodbye to our niece, knowing that we are going back to a place far, far away, the seven-year-old couldn't hold her emotion anymore. She burst into tears. And Angeline burst into tears too. Although they haven't been seeing each other for four years, and although they have just spent two weeks together, the separation was tough because the love was deep. That night we left, and the next morning, as you can see, my sister-in-law sent us a photos of our niece looking um, at our messages on her iPad with teary eyes, lips held together, and teardrops on the table. Those are the te her, her teardrops. Just right before she went to school in the morning. And I turned to Angeline, and I saw she was weeping too. And that moment stuck in my head for a long time. When we read this passage of John 13, verses 1 to 17, it reminds me of the heartfelt feeling when we had to say goodbye to our family. And it was Jesus' final moment on earth with his disciples. Jesus knew that the hour which had come for him was the hour of his departure from this world to return to his father. In one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons, he mentioned that it is important to know how one feels when one comes to the real critical point of their life. He said, the ruling passion is strong in death. In the light of one's departure, we shall see what really matters to that person. It was exactly so with Jesus. He had almost reached the end of his life on earth. And that same night, he would go to Gethsemane. In less than 24 hours, the hands that washed the disciples' feet would be nailed on the cross. He had come to a season of awful agony. He was about to endure the great and terrible death on the cross. And in his final moment, what would be the topmost on his mind? Our text is the answer to that question. In verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And please pay attention to the next sentence. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love. Love was the topmost thing on his mind. His love was burning so radiantly for even at the end of his life. And Jesus referred his disciples as his own. He chose them as his own. And he loved them 
as his own. Friends, when love is mentioned, it is hard for us to not mention service. Love and service can never be mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. I jokingly told Angeline, wow, you are like a servant to your niece because you are being bossed around almost every day. She replied, she replied, who cares? I like her. I just want to pamper her. It was really fun seeing them you know, interacting with each other. I noticed that Angeline's love for her niece comes with acts of service. The two weeks that we were in Malaysia, she tried her very best to create memories and moments with her niece through art making before they went to sleep, picking her up from school, bringing her to art classes, feeding her, bringing her to a favorite restaurant, and sharing Jesus' story, even though the family hasn't known Jesus yet. Love and service come together. And Mother Teresa understood this well. The saint once said, faith in action is love, and love in action is service. And by transforming that faith into living acts of love, we put ourselves in contact with God himself, with Jesus our Lord. She understood that the Lord Jesus whom she served was the one who has first shown us the radical love that displayed through his radical act of service, which is dying for us on the cross. Jesus knew the devil would capture Judah's heart. And Jesus knew the Father had put all things in his hands. He knew he came from God and was returning to God. With knowing all that, I think Jesus could have just used his divine authority to overturn the whole situation, right? The Bible says Jesus could easily summon more than 12 legions of angels. I think with the angels, 11 disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Zacchaeus, and others who believe in Jesus, under his command and power, together they could just strip away all the status and power of the religious authority, overturn the Roman Empire, and defeat Satan and all his evil power. Jesus rules and brings his kingdom on earth in a heroic and fashionable way. If this is an action movie, I think this would be an image most of us would, would love to see, right? It would be the climax scene in that movie. Instead, John shows us an image of Jesus commits to a humble act of service. It is precisely because Jesus, he knows who he is and all things being under him, that he got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and knelt down. He washed his disciples' feet including the feet of Judas, the betrayer. In the first century culture, food washing was normally carried out by a servant. I think most of us uh, have known that. And not by those participating in the meal, and certainly not by those presiding at the meal. And according to later Jewish tradition, even a Jewish slave would not be asked to wash people's feet. That menial task was assigned to gentle slave. And this image of Jesus portrayed in washing the disciples' feet didn't match the image that they were looking for, they were hoping for. It didn't fit the proper societal order. 
It didn't match the cultural expectation in which the lowly serves the powerful, the servant serves the master, and the student serves the teacher. That was why Peter said no to Jesus strongly when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. He said, you shall never wash my feet because it didn't make sense at all. And although the scripture doesn't mention it, I believe other disciples must be surprised because this was totally unacceptable in their social cultural context. And yet, the radical love of Jesus has for his disciples was shown through this humble act of service, foot washing. In loving them, Jesus chose to be in the posture of a servant. He knelt and washed their feet. It is reminiscent of the Christ hymn in Philippians 2 that Danny this morning, uh, he, he talked about it um, during the call to worship. It says that humility is his character and because he is in very nature God, he takes very nature of a servant. What a powerful image. And by taking the very nature of servant, Jesus overturns what seems to be the proper societal order in the culture. And Leslie Newbegin, in his commentary of the Gospel of John, it's a long um, quotation, but I think it's a good one. Um, the light has come, summarizes well on what we just said. The foot washing is a sign of that ultimate subversion of all human power and authority, which took place when Jesus was crucified by the decision of the powers that rule this present age. In the act of foot washing, the wisdom of this world was shown to be folly, and the powers of this world were disarmed. But flesh and blood, ordinary human nature, is in principle incapable of understanding this. It is to the Jew a, can, a scandal, a read to the Greek folly. Only those whom the reason Christ will call and to whom the Holy Spirit will be given will know that this folly is the wisdom of God and this weakness is the power of God. At the moment as the man that he is, Peter cannot understand. The natural human makes gods in his own image and the supreme God will be the one who stands at the summit of the chain of command. How can the natural, natural human recognize the supreme God in a stooping figure of a slave clad only in a loin cloth? Friends, not only the image of the supreme God in a stooping figure of a slave breaks the cultural hierarchy of power, but it also essentially points to his ultimate service for all of us, his sacrificial death on the cross to, through which he cleanses from all our sin. This is why Jesus told Peter, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And when Peter refused to be washed, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Jesus said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. I mean, clean here in Greek is katharos, which means purified before God. So friends, not only did Jesus wash his disciples', disciples feet, but he has also washed all believers, you and me, once for all with his precious blood. And some of us might, might ask, does Jesus still wash our feet? today, uh, even now? 
Does he not watch over the temporal affairs of ours? Matthew 10, 30, not a hair of our head falls to the ground without his permission. Does he not give his providential care to your life, looks to your family troubles, and your health and life issues? Does he not say to us in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety to me because I care for you? Psalm 23, does he not lie you down in green patches and prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies? He's doing for you what he did for Peter, washing your feet. He's caring for your lowest part and your dust-stained body. In all your afflictions, he is afflicted. He saves you and carries you. He carries our weaknesses and guilt day by day. And he has great patience with us even when we fall into temptations and are caught in sin, even when we have forgotten his mercy and love. This is who our Lord Jesus is, the suffering servant who washes our feet and cleanses our sin. The first 11 verses that we just went through portrays to the readers, to us, a shocking and powerful image of a God who demonstrated his radical love in the action of radical service. In the next few verses, Jesus gave us an important command. We are called to wash one another's feet. In the Christ act of foot washing, the Lord serves the follower, the teacher serves the disciple, the master serves the servant, the greater serves the lesser, the stronger serves the weaker. And interestingly, Jesus did not command the disciples to wash his feet back. If that's the case, the hierarchy of power that Jesus overturned through his act of foot washing would be re-established when the disciples fight against each other on who should be the first one to have the privilege to wash Jesus' feet. The order associated with power and privilege would be re-established again in deciding who would be the first and who the last. If so, the act of foot washing will just turn into an act of pursuing self-righteous. Instead, Jesus commands the disciples to wash one another's feet. They are to be servants to one another. And if we are called to be servants of one another, that means no one is above another. That means we can neither think that we are too good to serve, nor we are too good to be served. That means we need to wash others' feet, and at the same time, we also need to allow our feet to be washed by others. And Jesus has shown us that, that even he, as God himself, was willing to be served. Remember when Jesus insisted John the Baptist to baptize him, even when John thought he was unworthy and refused to do so? And last week, um, Reverend Rebecca talked about Mary anointed Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. My boss, Justin Kim, <laughs> once told me, Joseph, don't just think how you can serve others. It is also important to think 
how you can allow space for others to serve you. It was deep. It stuck in my head for a couple of weeks. Um. <laughs> I, I think what he said was, Joseph, yes, wash others' feet, but also allow others to wash your feet. And there's a good discussion question in the Connection Group study guide that uh, Pastor Rebecca just put together for our message today. So that question is, when do you find it hard to let someone serve you? And when do you find it hard to serve others? Those are good questions. So I will let you and your group members to discuss you know, on that question. Growing up, my parents have shown me and my siblings a great example of serving. When I was 14, the church, the church that we worship in moved to another neighborhood. It was a very, very new neighborhood at that time. It was quite far from the city center. At that time, my younger brothers were 11 and 9, and my youngest sister were 2 years old, like a uh, baby. I remember when the church needed people to take turns to stay overnight and watch the church property because it was still under res- uh, renovation and there were, there were valuable musical instruments and sound systems in, in the new building. And that area was very remote and secluded. Of all the building units on a on street, we were the only occupied unit. No street lights at night, and you could count with your own fingers how many cars passed by our street in a day. There were a lot of uh, break-ins and thefts in that area. You could see those units, units around us with missing windows and broken doors. It's pretty scary. And my dad volunteered and brought the whole family to stay overnight in that scary and secluded neighborhood. My dad had all the best reasons not to do so. My mom could have just dissuaded him, right? But both made the decision to serve, and they brought us along. At night, I I remember I was pretty scared. I was worried that the alarm would go off because that would mean someone had broken in. Never in my 14 years of life did I pray so hard. I was even calling down angels to surround the church building to protect me and my family. Over and over again, I see how my dad, who isn't a pastor or a missionary, missionary, faithfully serves others selflessly. He has good friends who aren't Christians. I could see them enjoying friendship with my dad. They would go for meals, uh, bike ride, and etc. And hospital visitations are something my dad and mom would always do. Funerals are where my dad will be at to comfort those who are grieving. Angeline told me whenever my dad was hosting funeral services, leading communion, or just being present among others, she felt the subtle presence of God in the room. That's my dad. When I was young, I never thought my dad was cool. Really. Because he doesn't like like to be in the center of attraction. He doesn't do things that will gain him recognition. He just faithfully does all the small little things that God calls him to do. Walking alongside people, serving others. No complaints, not flashy, not for any gains. Now as a grown-up myself, I'm so grateful and blessed to have such a wonderful dad in my life. 
Dad, if you are watching this, I know you will. I want to say that you are the coolest dad I ever had in my life. I love you. I thank God for you. You are a role model in my life. You have shown me what it means to make room for serving and how blessed it is. Today, I pray that we will be a church that makes room for service. When we make room for service, we make no room for self-righteousness. When we make room for service, we make no room for self-entitlement. When there is room for service, there will be no room for putting oneself above others, seeing oneself better than others because of one's social economic status, power, race, intellect, education level, success, or moral standard. And friends, the message today is not to promise into thinking what more we should do. Our God is already at work. Food washing or serving, it requires no qualification. It needs no experience nor credentials. Jesus could have performed another great miracle or thought the, or taught the disciples a complicated theological lecture during his last meal. Instead, he chose to show them his radical love through an act of foot washing before he died for them, for us, on the cross. Friends, if you know that God is already and has always been at work, our response is to participate in what he is doing. Participate in what he has called you and I to do, to serve. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will prompt your heart and my heart today. Let us always be on bended knees with a basin and towel near our hand. Let us be willing to relieve those who are in need, to restore those who stumble, to reclaim those who wander, and to edify all the body of Christ as far as our ability will permit. And the Bible in verse 17 says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And today as we come to the table, we partake the body and blood of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who loves us as his own, who takes the very nature of a servant, washes our feet with water and with, and with his blood. And we are called to take on the posture of a servant to wash one another's feet. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.